You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Uh, We've been looking at character. We're still looking at character, but we're not looking at individual character now. We're looking at the character of a church. If the church was a person, what would uh, some of the three key characteristics or the character traits of that church be, of a healthy-looking church? And uh, we are saying over the next couple of weeks that some of those could be, God willing, if it emerged in the life of our church, that we would be gospel-speaking. We looked at that last week. Uh, This week that we would be neighbour loving. Uh, And then next week that we would be world witnessing. Uh, Those are three traits that we hope and pray might emerge in the life of our church as we follow Jesus Christ. Uh, Now last week we learnt that gospel speaking is more than just memorising a snazzy message. It's not just about evangelising on a milk crate. It's having a relational integrity, right? Relational integrity means to, to not sneeze that you went to church on a Sunday. You know, when you go to work and, and what do you do on the weekend? I, I went to church. We often sneeze that we went to church on a Sunday and to, to have a relational integrity simply meant to have the boldness and the courage and the humility because of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be the same whatever area of life you are living in. Now, we also have to see the forest from the trees and step back from the Sermon on the Mount because I said last week that you can't read this individualistically, Matthew five fourteen to 16, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And we often think we're little glowworms, we're fireflies. You were that last week, right? You were anableps once, now you were fireflies this year. Uh, you are the light of the world. You are little fireflies into the darkness that surrounds us. But at the same time, you're a city on a hill. The challenge being a city on a hill is it's very difficult to be a city on a hill by yourself, Right? You've got to be in community. You've got to be doing all this stuff. The, the radical nature of what Jesus is saying is that Sydney will be changed by this church when people outside of us come in and see a community of radically different people showing the world how race relations are be done together and how relationships can be done together and how sex can be different and how money can be different and how power structures can be different. In, in other words, Jesus is saying Northside is to be an alternate city within the city of Sydney. And here's why. Uh, Words alone are insufficient to lead people to Jesus. I've learnt this morning that pots of jam are. (laughs) My job, I say every week, is to prove and argue that Christianity is true. Your job, church, is to prove that it works. And it can be as simple as that, that the most effective message isn't the one that's delivered in the building to a bunch of people. It's the one delivered every day through the lives that you guys live. And so we're saying here when Jesus talks about his light of the world and the city, in the world, city on a hill, he's saying my community is to be both attractive to and attracted to the world around it. And practically speaking, the key to our attractiveness is that we are neighbor loving. That we love our neighbours. How do we relate to those that are different, destitute, indifferent? And if ever there was a teaching that turns out on the head, it's this parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 and onwards. And we'll see from the passage this morning what Jesus really means about neighbour loving. We'll see the requirements what are we to do? We'll see the representation. Uh, what, uh, what is neighbour loving specifically? And then we'll see the reason uh, why would you love your neighbour 
anyway, uh, first off, we see the requirements of neighbour loving. I remember going to one of those home shows where they have all the different kit homes all built up and, and I, I took as a, you know those show bags that you get from these shows that are full of useless junk? Uh, this was a piece of useless junk except for a sermon illustration now which was just as well. But I had a book that was 150 pages long of building code requirements. So you know like where there's sort of, you have to have 15 millimetres uh, uh, between the gaps in your railings so that your kids don't fall over veranda. Like there is someone who has thought up the laws of every little building code that you can think of in terms of Australian houses. It's riveting stuff. And see, that represents the legal mindset. That whole book is screaming. Its title should just be titled, What is the Minimum? <laughs> What's the minimum that I've got to do to get the house across the line? And that is exactly what this teacher of the law in this passage asks Jesus. He asks him for the building code manual. He says, Jesus, what's the minimum? And he's exactly the sort of person you'd think would ask him that because this guy, this teacher of the law, the expert in the law, now he, you've got to picture him, this... This is what Jesus is doing. He's, 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 having, he's, having, a, a, he's having a little get-together. A little, um, if he was modern day, it would be a, a, a soiree in a Paddington townhouse with a Sydney barrister. Can you imagine, can you imagine the, the, the dynamic of the conversation that's happening with this cheeky guy called Jesus and this expert of the law? And that's where he says in verse 25, On one occasion, the expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, Imagine the wine glass. What must I do to inherit eternal life? (laughs) And spotting this, uh, don't you love the way that Jesus teaches? Because Jesus has spot this sucker from a mile away. And and so Jesus says, well, okay, well, what's, what's written in the law? Throws it straight back at him. He says, how do you read it? So if we're going to play legal games here, I'll answer your question with a question, says Jesus. And then the guy says, oh, yes, well, love God, love others. That's all you have to do. Now, here's the trap. And this is the way I love how Jesus teaches and works. Here's the trap. Correct, says Jesus. That's right. Love God with such a priority and intensity that he is the first thing you think of when you wake up of a morning, Mr. Barrister. And at the same time, meet the needs of your neighbour with the same speed and the same joy and the same fervour and the, and the same intentionality as you would meet your own. That's all you've got to do. Anyone live like that this week? Is it, is it just me or are we, all, are we all starting to feel like we've, we've just been cornered by the real lawyer in the room here? Are you feeling the force of this, of Jesus Christ? And this quick answer back to this expert of the law? It's why we've been saying for the past three weeks that you can't get this sort of uh, result in your life by behavior modification. You can't walk out of here and just saying, okay, yeah, I'll go and love my neighbor today. It's not going to work that way. Not to the standard that Jesus requires of each and every one of us that are called his followers. And it's probably why then that then the expert of the law says in verse 29... And then he wanted to justify himself. So he's saying, come on, Jesus, give me the specifics. Give me some practicalities. Help me work this out. Uh, Help me find the ways that I can come back to the book, the minimum. And Jesus then says, okay, well, that reminds me of a story. 
A minister walks down the road and sees a guy bloodied on the side of it and he walks to the other side. And then, and then a Levite, an elder of the church, walks down as well and he sees him and he passes to the other side of the road. And then there's this guy, this Samaritan, who I know is your sworn enemy. He comes down and he offers him food and help and bandages and puts him on his donkey and cares for him. Now understand the question here, church, that Jesus is answering. What is the bare minimum that God requires of you in loving your neighbor? And Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, to meet the needs of your neighbor with the same speed and the same joy and the same power and the same force that you would meet your own this week. And so God's requirement for neighbor loving, of being a neighbor that is loving, God's requirement is to meet the needs around, of the people around you so concretely and so amazingly that people are going to have to hear the gospel in order to explain your actions. There's, there's, the bar, there's the bar, there's the standard. And you see why you can't come into this legalistic and just say, I'm going to, oh yeah, I'll go and do that this week. And are you catching yourself like the teacher of the law? You're thinking, can you be serious, Jesus? And then we start to see a representation of what this neighbor loving looks like. And so in the middle of this argument of the technicalities and the law, Jesus then starts to give some practical case studies. He takes it back to that personal level with the story. Here's what it looks like practically. The first thing in terms of neighbor loving, we see that you've got to see over the fence. You've got to see over the fence. Verse 33, it says here, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So the first thing you've got to do is you've got to see over the fence. But the trick is it's not the fences that we're thinking of. Because half of you are going, we live in Sydney. We live in shoebox things called apartments. We don't have fences. We have intercoms. And I don't see my neighbours. They just duck in through the garage and up the lift. And I haven't seen my neighbour in six months. I'm not talking about that kind of fence. Did you ever see that SBS documentary late uh, last year called First Contact with Ray Martin? That was a documentary of what it means to see over the fence. See, uh, SBS went and took six people, six everyday Australians, and had indigenous families host them for a period of time. And in fact, it, crazed, it created this whole firestorm because this lady, Sandy from Newcastle, was firing off all of these various racist comments saying that all indigenous people are alcoholics and burn their house down. Now, why did she say something like that? Born that way? No, she hasn't seen over the fence. That's a fence. See, the thing that Jesus understands and why he places these characters in the story is we all have fences with our neighbours and not the physical ones. We have fences between our ethnicity. We have fences between our uh, socioeconomic status. We have fences between our genders. We have all sorts of fences between our belief. And so Jesus tells this story of this Samaritan guy who's walking down the road, sees this guy half naked and bleeding, the, the minister, the elder, they all pass. Why? Now, the words Good Samaritan here, they actually don't, did you realise it doesn't actually occur in the Bible passage? The parable of the Good Samaritan, when you look at it, there's no, Jesus doesn't use the words Good Samaritan. And there's a, there's a real reason why, because to say Good Samaritan would have been an oxymoron. It would, have, it would have made no sense. It, Jesus would retell this story today saying it would be the parable of the good Taliban. It would be the parable of the Islamic fundamentalist and the Christian. 
That's the gravity of what he's saying here. It's an oxymoron to say the parable of the Good Samaritan because the Jews hated the Samaritans. You know, there was a prayer where Jews would get up and they would say, thank you, Lord, that I'm not a Samaritan. Like that is the level of animosity. That is the height of the fence that were between these two people. And so they hated each other. They were ethnically different. They had fences between their beliefs, their ethnicity. And so we mustn't miss this morning, church, the the radical redefinition of what neighbor means here. You see, you and I, we think of neighbor straight away in terms of proximity. But Jesus thinks of neighbor in terms of intentionality. Jesus, at the end of the story, when he says, well, well, who is my neighbor? When the expert of the law asks, who is my neighbor? Jesus' answer is, don't ask, who is my neighbor? Ask, who will I be neighborly to? You see how he just flips it on his head. And so the, the Samaritan sees the guy over the fence, over the fence of his ethnicity, his religion, his socioeconomics. Um, do you? Do you see your neighbours? What fences exist in your life, realistically? You sort of know. I'll give you an example if you're in the corporate world. We have fences all the time. You ever done this where you walk into a networking event and you size people up and down on the basis of how you think they might be able to help you a little bit later on down the track in your career? That's a fence. Or another example is a fence at church. You know, realistically, we could walk out to the foyer today and uh, you're not quite sure where you're going to sit. And you, we all instinctively scan the room to say, oh, yeah, they're dressed like that. And they sort of look like the sort of person that I fit with. I've, hey, I've, I've been there. Fences. Got nothing to do with proximity but intentionality. Jesus says you've got to look over the top of that. Second thing you've got to do if you want to be neighbor loving is you've got to be prepared to be inconvenienced. Verse 34. It says, He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. You know what it's saying? If you want to be neighbor loving, sometimes you've just got to get off your ass. I'm going to hear about that next week, aren't I? (laughs) I wasn't swearing. He got off his donkey. He got off his donkey. He cleans him up. He puts the guy on his own donkey. True true neighbourship's about being inconvenienced. It's about being inconvenienced. I'm sure that that the Samaritan didn't get up that morning and say, wife, wife, uh, hun, I I hope, I just hope that as I'm heading down to Jerusalem that I'm going to get stopped on the way to my business meeting by a bloodied and broken person on the side of the road. I just hope that happens today. I'm sure he didn't do that. I'm sure it's the same for us today. I'm sure like the Samaritan for us today, the reality is, is this, that the needs of people interrupts us. Give you a classic example this week. I'm sitting with a bunch of the senior pastors from all around this area. We had coffee up at Sparrow this week. Most phenomenal thing happened. We're there, and another pastor, they're all going to remain nameless, but uh, we're all sitting there having a coffee, and another pastor comes up and he's starting to tell us about his various ministries and all these sorts of things. And he's, uh, he's starting to give us some exposition on Luke chapter 18 or something. And, we're all a bunch of pastors. And um, Bill, Billy, one of our mates who's a regular around at Northside and, and, uh, and has got his own troubles, um, comes up and starts, um, starts saying good day to us all. And we all know Bill really well. And this minister that is talking to us is absolutely gobsmacked. I mean, he's fuming. And we chat to Bill for five minutes and then he goes away 
And dead set, this minister looks at us and says, I can't believe he interrupted me. (laughs) A Levite, a minister walks down the road and you've got to be prepared to be inconvenienced. The Levite asks questions. Uh, look, what, what's going to happen to me if I stop to help this guy? And rightly so, this was the pass of blood was another way to describe this road to Jerusalem. The pass of blood, because there were so many burglars and so many uh, robbers on this road that it was called the pass of blood. People were always getting beaten up. And so he, he sees, they see them there. This is the sort of place, this is, this is the back alleys of Darlinghurst at 3, 3 a.m. in the morning where you know that you do not go. You know those sorts of places where you drive in the city and you just don't get out of your car? You know those sorts of places in the city where you might drive past with the doors locked and the windows up just to see what they're like, but you never get out? That's what the Levite was doing. And yet the Samaritan asked, what's going to happen to this guy if I don't stop to help it totally changes the way that we perceive things. Uh, Rick Russell, one of our pastors over in America from our churches over there, says this. He says, getting out of your own way is difficult. Going out of your own way is even more difficult. You've got to be prepared to be inconvenienced. True neighbourship means that you've got to be prepared to wander off the pathway, not of roads, but of your own agenda, your own schedule, your own calendar in order to love your neighbour. Here's the, the third thing that we learn He carried the cost, verse 35. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Look after him, takes out the coin, two silver coins. Do you know two silver coins back then, that would be the modern day equivalent of two months rent at the inn. Can you imagine that in Sydney where the average two bedroom unit, 580 a week, multiply that by eight weeks. You've got to carry the cost. It's an incredible example. But what's really interesting here, though, is what I realized reading through is, isn't it interesting that money was the last thing that he did? It was the last thing that he did, which is so applicable to us in our context here, particularly in our style of church and the culture that we come from, is because, look, let's be honest, it can be a lot easier just to pull out the checkbook. In fact, checkbooks are a good way not to inconvenience your schedule. Sometimes your neighbor's not looking for a check. Sometimes your neighbours maybe would really appreciate a jar of jam. <laughs> and some of you say, oh yeah, like on the other side of it, oh yeah, but I can't help, I can't afford to help out, I can't afford to pull out my checkbook. I, you know, I, feel like a, I feel like a person on the side of the road at the time. You know, my impact's not going to be much, much, why bother? And that's why Andy Stanley, I love his line. Andy Stanley says, if you feel like that, then do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Jonathan Edwards, one of the great uh, reformed preachers, when he was commenting on Galatians 6 in carrying each other's burdens, he says, how do we carry someone else's burden if we are not burdened ourselves? In many cases, we may, by the rules of the gospel, be obliged to give to others when we cannot do it without suffering ourselves. Else, how is that rule of bearing another's burdens fulfilled? If we're never obliged to relieve others' burdens, but when we can do it without burdening ourselves then how do we bear our neighbour's burdens when we bear no burden at all? You know, it's like removalists. You know, it, it, the Good Samaritan is, is like loving your neighbour is when you see someone trying to, tr- trying to lift a chest of drawers out of the back of, tr- of the truck themselves and they're stuck. 
and they can't move because the weight of the thing has pressed them in. And the only way that that person is going to be released and freed is if you come in underneath and you feel some of the weight yourself. To carry the cost is actually to carry some of the burden off the other person so that they might be liberated. And so Jesus says here, you're not being a true labor unless it costs you. So you've got to see over the fence. You've got to be a bit inconvenienced. It's got to cost you something. That's why in some ways I'm a bit light on the practical application this morning. And just as well with Catherine's story this morning, because it just illustrated the whole sermon for us, didn't it? God's got a funny way of us partnering, doesn't he? I want you guys to take those three various grids into your own life. What fences do you have? (laughs) Where do you need to be inconvenienced? Where, Where is God calling us to carry the cost in some small way of someone else? Wouldn't you love to be a person like the Samaritan? That's the ultimate representation of what a true neighbor is. And what we're saying is that if we released a community of three, 400 people into the neighborhoods around Sydney, if there was just two people like that in the neighborhood, wouldn't you love to live in a neighborhood like that? What, what a place Sydney would be if all of these fireflies got released out into the sort of world where you don't see your neighbor for six months. Sydney needs true neighbors. Sydney needs the neighbour love of Northside Church. And so as we finish, there's two ways that you can walk out of here today. You can walk out of here and just do it. It's what I call MacGyvering in recent weeks. You could just go and do it. I'm going to love my neighbour today. That's just trying to take external behaviour modification. And that way is, is going to crush you and it's going to crush them because often you're not doing it for their sake, you're doing it for your sake. But there's, there's, there's a di- dynamic. There's, there's a two-stroke whippersnipper engine in here that can be... Um, set off in the very center of your soul this morning. If you understand what Jesus is doing here in this story, you see the key, the key difference between whether you do it or whether it's a dynamic for you this morning pivots on where Jesus puts the teacher of the law in the story. And when I say that, look at the characters that he uses. You see, what if the teacher says to this Paddington expert of the law in the townhouse, Look, here's a person just like you and, and he comes down to a person bleeding on the side of the road and he sees them, he's inconvenienced and he puts them up in an inn. Now, what if he said it's the parable of the good teacher of the law? The teacher of the law would say, well, that's very, yeah, it's nice, it's lovely, but you know, they're, they're doing it because you know, they're, they're the ones that have got the, so- he probably had a social conscience. He's, he's, he was probably a, a bit more left wing than me. Yeah, he, was, he, was, he was the one that was a bit more educated. That was just his bias. But what, but, but, but what here, if, if Jesus had have done it that way, he would have lost the guy and he would have lost us this morning. Where's, where's the motivation? Where's the dynamic? Where's the engine in this? Look, have you caught on to the genius of Jesus yet? Watch this genius. This is how he switches it from a do it to a dynamic. Here's the genius. genius. He puts the Israelite on the road and the Samaritan in the saddle. So in simple terms, Jesus says to this law expert, another Jew, one of his fellow Jews, what if the person on the side of the road was you? What if you were dying? What if you were bleeding? What if, what if you were unable to pick yourself up? And what if you had an experience of grace that was done to you by someone who had every right when you were lying there to kick you in the teeth? And yet they come down, they bend up and they put you on the donkey. What would you do? Would you take it? Would you receive it? 
Only then will you become a true neighbour. You see, Jesus doesn't give this guy another do it. He gives him a dynamic that if he takes it into his heart, would revolutionise the way that he lives. And you and I, we don't need another do it today. Many of us here at Northside, we, don't, we know the story. We've, 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 we've done the parable of the... Most of you did the parable of the Good Samaritan on flannel graph. You know, that stuff in Sunday school where you get to put all the nice little pictures of the good... We've, we know the story. We don't, we don't need to do it. We need a dynamic. And here's the thing. Here it is. Until you have been radically neighboured yourself, you won't become a radical neighbour. You, you, you need that until you've had this experience of grace from the saddle of someone who had the right to kick you in the teeth. Until you've done that, you won't be a radical dispenser of God's grace and his good deeds. And you're saying, well, where do I get that from? How does it work? Where can I find something like that? Where, where do I get a true neighbor? And the answer is the gospel. The gospel, the gospel is this. See, the gospel is this, is that anyone who is a Christian knows at any point in your life, spiritually speaking, you were broken and bloodied and helpless on the side of the road. And, and Jesus, even though we deserved rejection, gets off his saddle to cross the road, and he extends to every person his holistic grace. And you see, the only way that you will see someone who is totally different from you, the only way that you're going to see over the fence is to realize that Jesus saw over the fence, and you were totally different from him. The only way that you're going to get inconvenienced is you see that Jesus was inconvenienced. He had life with the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he humbles himself, becomes a man, and gets obedient to death on a cross. The only way that you are going to absorb some cost is to realize this. You've got to realize that the Samaritan crossed the road at the risk of his life. Yeah, we get that, the pass of blood. But Jesus, Jesus came into our road. Jesus crosses our road, not just at the risk of his life, at the cost of his life, knowing that, and still he does it. And Jesus does it and he comes down and he crosses the road. At the cross, Jesus Christ takes yours and my place on the road so we can have his in the saddle. You don't need a good Samaritan. You need a great Samaritan this morning. <laughs> you need the ultimate Samaritan this morning. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus got off his S. <laughs> so you can get off yours. <laughs> And so we can understand that the gospel is not a do it, it's a dynamic. You know that Jesus Christ never shoulds any of us into anything. He's the most incredible teacher in the world, this incredible dynamic that could set us on fire if we understand that he's the ultimate Samaritan in the universe. Jesus says, Northside, your calling is this, you're the light of the world, so go be fireflies in the darkness. He says, you're a city on the hill. You're supposed to be so radically different from the neighborhoods around you that in the simplest of things, like a jar of jam, you can impact someone's life for the rest of eternity. I'm just a male boy. <laughs> which, which, which one of them was the true neighbor? Oh, the one that had mercy. His words, not mine. Go and do likewise. Let's pray.